0: If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live.
1: Germ Warfare is Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Germ Warfare at TNTradio.live. As always, that's my email address. Thank you to those who send me mails. A special thank you to those who include their location. I love I love knowing where people are are listening from. If you are in the live chat, I've got it open in front of me. I've got my inbox open. So if you want to send a message or communicate or engage throughout the show, please do. Of course, if you go to TNT's website, you can find all the the links for where you can watch uh, my show. And if you miss it live, you can always download it after the fact. Go to uh, my page on TNT's website. You'll find the videos there, you'll find the audio clips there, also clips, the audio uh, feeds there. So you can listen, watch, whatever you want. The The selection of things that you can do is quite vast. So uh, I don't mind if you, if you listen to the show after the fact, uh, but I hope you do listen to the show. And as always, send me feedback. Love hearing from you. On that note, Let's uh, let's jump into the show. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.
0: Conversations to inform and include.
1: It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News
0: Talk Radio. TNT.
1: P.S. Robinson, it's been a long time. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Um, It's uh, it's been a long time since we last chatted. A lot has happened, and uh, and equally not a lot has happened. Propaganda, um, suppression of speech—all those things haven't changed. They're still all <laughs> happening.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, yeah, it's for sure. Um, we, we've been having quite a ride, okay, since two thousand and twenty um, with COVID nineteen. Mm. Quite a ride for a lot of people waking up to questions of propaganda and manipulation, mm-hmm. um, structural deep events, and so on. Um, and, you know, it's become clear, I guess, to a lot of us that there's an awful lot going on in our world in terms of major political and economic changes. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, it has been a tough ride for everybody, and it's... Um, I think there's a, a bit of sort of um, battle weariness setting in amongst uh, some people at this point in time. Because, um, you know, um, people have been terrified of a virus and are now terrified of war and um, terrified of what might come can, be pulled out of the hat next. Um, so yeah we're in a we're in a difficult era and and it is difficult also for people i think to get a sense of where we are and where we're going and you know as, as you started off with you know things we seem to be in the same place but so much has happened and you know what is going on it, it's a confusing mm-hmm. time um for everyone including um you know all the academics who
1: like to pretend they know what's going on <laughs> but it's yeah i mean it's such an interesting pl- place to be in history uh i personally have gone through a huge roller coaster ride when it comes to uh information and trying to piece together the, the puzzle uh, i was chatting to an extended family member of mine earlier today in fact and i haven't spoken to him in years and uh, we've kind of reconnected thanks to the COVID thing you know it's it's re it's rejoined um a lot of perhaps friendships and all sorts of other things at the same time it's also destroyed a lot so there's, it's, there's this weird dichotomy but What was interesting is he was saying to me how he has found himself trying to unlearn and relearn a lot of what he thought he knew thanks to the COVID era. And that's precisely echoing what I've been saying. And I Mm. suppose millions of people have been saying that. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, I think it is
2: remarkable. Um, I I think we are, as you say, at a point in history which which is a... I don't know whether it's the most um, pivotal moment in human existence, that's that's a big claim to make, right? But certainly in my lifetime, um you know, there is nothing that has been on this level in terms of major political and economic change and 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 also crisis manufactured crises as well and really i i I suppose you know because I'm like fifty three and you know my parents that they were alive during the second world War you know second world war was obviously a major societal event and in global event, etc you know, and you know, this, in a way, what we've been through for the last four years seems to be is you have to go back to the Second World War to find something similar for people of our generation um, and or people in the West, at least. There's always a danger of ethnocentrism here, isn't there, where you um, talk about, well, these big things happening, and, of course, around the world, Vietnam, war, Afghanistan, et cetera, all of these conflicts where you know things have been very active for um, certain sections of the world's population. Um, but certainly for the West, for the comfortable West, right, um, for a long time, um, we haven't had anything as big as this rolling along. Um, so, yeah, th- these are... These are times I think also of ideological change and ideological unraveling. I think a lot of, you know, big lies which have been used to underpin um well, let's be blunt about it, Western civilization. I'm thinking here of I'm writing this morning a chapter for a book and it was um talking about Plato's noble lie. <laughs> and, um, you know sort of we we i I think we have these foundational myths and lies which underpin societies and probably all societies throughout all eras um, and I think the ones which some of the many of the ones which have be underpinning the West are um unraveling at a rapid rate, um and I think this is causing a lot of sort of discomfort, cognitive dissonance, all these phrases which psychologists used. Um, But just, you know, stress and strain for people and and difficulty for people to work out exactly what is going on. Um, Because I think in some way, yeah, things are falling apart. Um, Lies are being exposed and... um, you know, I sometimes think this is probably the natural process through which, you know, any major power in history, empire, whatever you want to call it, as it goes through this sort of notion of decline and change, um, you have this kind of turmoil and chaos going on. Um, so maybe we can take some comfort in that and just think, well, we're, we're in a stormy waters at the moment, but we'll pass through it um, given in
1: time. Um, well, I mean, in reference to uh, that article of yours, which I thought was great, uh, called Deafening Silences, um, you kind of start off by talking about the lockdowns and that right there for me is one of the defining moments of my life. Um, and, I, and I think my parents also, I mean, my mother said to me, she remembers big events like the moon landing and, and of course, we all remember 9-11. And she says to me, this has been the weirdest and most dramatic event in her living memory. And, and the lockdowns, I think were part of that, that weird, that weird, um, polarization of one's personal tug of war when it comes to going, okay, this is very strange. I need to ask questions. So there was a silver lining in that while it came with a huge amount of tragedy.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, COVID-19, looking back at it now, with what have we got, four years? I mean, you know, even that, it was, this. It, the whole thing looks extremely strange. And and obviously people, those amongst us who research it and analyze it and so on, Panda, Nick Hudson, et cetera, uh, myself and others, you know, we're pretty clear that this is an instigated event. Um, it's, a, as it were, a psychological operation or a structural deep event um and yeah this you know this is uh, i mean i'm trying to think in comparison to sort of you you mentioned the moon landings and 911 i think the issue with covid-19 is is the global scale of it right that this was i mean perhaps i should be clearer about what terms i'm using for, for your listeners and, and viewers i mean structural deep events is this notion peter dale scott's idea of the notion of events which are instigated or exploited exaggerated by political elites in order to push through major political and economic uh, policies and changes they're essentially, deceptions. It's where a, an elite group will exploit an event, mislead people, deceive people. In the case of COVID, terrifying them over the, this alleged virus and so on, and then they're using that to implement a whole series of major policy changes. And we saw that with a Great Reset. We've seen it with the kind of the finance industry and the kind of the, the planning for central bank digital currencies and so on. So, so these are essentially sort of deceptions which are carried out, broadly speaking, by a, a network of, of elite groups. But yes, the, the thing with COVID-19 is this had this global dimension to it. Whereas 9-11, I think, although you know it, it was a global event as it were, but it was primarily a, you know, it was a false flag. It was a self-inflicted wound to initiate um regime change wars. This is all fairly well documented in the 90s and and subsequent to 9-11. You know, it's straightforward in a way, sort of need to get some big wars going in the international system. You need to have a dramatic event in order to get people's blood boiling to be able to pursue those policies. Um, But, you know, kind of focused on the U.S. or focused at least on on the Western Empire. Whereas with COVID-19, you know, there is a global dimension to this, which is extraordinary. So you see the the, the rolling out of the panic, the fear-mongering over the virus – functioning through the World Health Organization, the United Nations, et cetera, multiple governments getting on board, you know, the role of China, and then you've got the European countries and the US, et cetera, um, with all of these uh, sort of this incredible hyping of what was going on. And of course, as we've gone on in time, more and more doubts have emerged about what was really going on um, and so on. But even at the time, it was, you know, for anyone who was keeping let's say, just, you know, a, a level head about it was, you know, why on earth are you locking people down for this? This doesn't make any sense. Even if there is a nasty bug going around, if you lock down societies, the collateral damage will be horrendous, which, of course, was the case. Um, so this is an extraordinary thing to be happening. And, and the global s- dimension to it, I think, made it particularly um disorientating for people and particularly shocking for people um but you know as you say the, the silver lining on that is that that has i think mobilized more people than i've ever known in my lifetime to wake up to problems of propaganda problems that our governments aren't necessarily operating or functioning in our interests um and out of this has come you know uh, a fledgling a nascent resistance body mm. across the globe not quite sure how you know how i can't say how strong it is but i know that there's a lot of us as you know and there's people like you mm. but and it, there's a lot of us who are working in many different ways pushing back um uh, as best we can and and that's new um and and that's major and that's the positive which has come out of it but yeah th- this thing is as you know my colleague mark Crispin miller often argues it, this is an unprecedented um propaganda event if you want to call it that and i would i i I see these as i see structural deep events essentially as real world events which are propagandized the the purposes of these things are to organize conduct and beliefs of people to control people and so on so it's basically a form of propaganda these these events and so on um and yeah this has been um it's it's been arguably the biggest as it were propaganda event in
1: history Mm. um for sure when i when I spoke to Patrick Fagan, I think you know him, um, not yeah. too long ago, uh, he he was chatting to me about a lot of the behavioural psychology and science behind uh, the COVID event, uh, and um, and he he spoke about nudging and the sort of subtle the subtle pushes that were that were being imposed on people without them realising. But if I think back, there was a lot of very blatant, blunt, in your face. Uh, I wouldn't even call it nudging. It's just outright pushing uh, um and I mean from the propaganda campaigns and I was, you, you see them now but yet so many people at the time saw these billboards and I remember going to the, the airport and hearing the announcements coming over every five minutes saying you know uh wear your mask to save those around you and all that sort of thing and it and there was this weird merge merger between indoctrination it felt like being in a cult and this And like world war ii propaganda and that that was to me so obvious that something was very wrong because if something is clearly deadly you don't need to advertise it you know you don't need to Mm -hmm. go into the rwandan genocide you don't have to go into rwanda and put up billboards saying hey guys there's a genocide let's 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 put up billboards it's it should be Mm self-evident
2: yeah for sure i mean this is one of the clues right as as, as you correctly point out that sort of why did so much energy have to go into terrifying people if there was such a terrifying virus circulating um and so on um and and that was a giveaway um the the point you started i think is a really important one because i patrick's work is great um and he's got a new book out hasn't he with laura um Dodsworth who did the um, book on on behavioral science and, and COVID 19 um you know and of course nudging is nudging right and it's got a quite a sort of a gentle sort of you know sense to it so we're just gently moving people and you're absolutely right and this was the purpose in you know, in a way of the paper that um that I wrote in which you picked up on is that you know the, the kind of the organizing of behavior and and beliefs um is actually pretty heavy duty um, and while sort of messaging and fear-mongering is, is often a big part of propaganda campaigns um, you know and, and that in a sense is you know you can argue that that's coercive but with COVID-19 you, you had people not just a process of being then being terrified people were then coerced there were mandates everywhere people lost jobs um there was incentivization going on there was you know sort of for the vaccines take the vaccine and you get a free pizza all of that kind of paraphernalia etc so you, you had an overall environment was created where. Um, you know, people. some people were terrified by the quite extreme um, fear-mongering that you saw in, in the media reports and the government-funded campaigns and so on. Um, but also there was this, you know, hard, coercive component, whereas if, if people didn't believe all of this, such as you... Or me thinking this is absolutely nonsense, and so on. Um, were you going to do anything about it? Were you actually going to take a stand? And then, well, you know, you're, you're a health worker, and it's like, boy, you know, in the UK they laid off uh, the um, elderly uh, homes care workers. You know, people were scared for their jobs. People lost jobs, as we know, in significant numbers. Um, academics being muscled out of their positions, and so on. Um, so so this whole process of getting people, of organizing their conduct, um, yeah, there was nudging involved. There's also sledgehammer messaging uh, with the propaganda <laughs> campaigns. But then there was also co- just coercion, threatening people's livelihoods, their existence. Independent journalists, you know, relying upon, you know, funding streams from their YouTube channels, you know, demonetization. These things impact and so this is you know this is a broader point and this um just i'll I'll stop in a second but this links back to a paper that i wrote with david miller as you probably know he was fired from bristol and just recently uh, vindicated and cleared in the industrial tribunal for wrongful dismissal um, because of his work criticizing israel and zionism but we wrote a paper with with Yann Bakir and and um, Eric Carrying a few years back, talking about sort of essentially the propaganda. It works through deception, but it also weaves with coercion and incentivization. It has a material, real world component to it. And people often think of propaganda. They just think of the messaging the, the campaigns, the posters, and so on. But actually, if you look back at you know at major sort of uh, influence campaigns, that they normally combine sort of uh, an element of coercion, an element of incentivization, and then the messaging trying to persuade people. and um and so that means you know propaganda is actually, you know it's a very real world thing at the end of the day it is about sort of pushing and cajoling people forcing people sometimes who perhaps don't believe a word you're saying but they'll comply they'll go along with it because they can't risk take the risk of losing their job and so on um and this is in a sense the ugly reality of propaganda and why we argued that propaganda is so pervasive in society because when you start to think about well, how much incentivization goes on in our society how much coercion well actually quite a lot <laughs> as well as the spin and the messaging and the distortion etc you get in the communication campaigns when you add those things mm. together the world starts to look um very uh coerced
1: and very little yeah. consent going on um pierce but- robinson don't go anywhere i'll be back with you shortly my name is German. this is tnt
0: TNT's Patrick Henningsen.
1: Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son
0: of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts. uh, This many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted Uh, a number of years, and only in the last three months are we scraping 100 on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list, which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk, TNT.
2: From weather and traffic reports. To news of political developments.
1: We turn to journalists for the information we need to live
2: our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom,
1: and for safety and stability.
2: Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before.
1: So many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks, and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists
0: in all countries.
2: We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked in the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins.
1: Justice wins. It's enormous for me to be here, to be free. I didn't expect it at Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom.
0: Going to say it just
1: once This is today's news talk radio, TNT. Pierce, I was having a conversation with somebody a few days ago. They're talking about how great it is to live in a democracy. And I said, "Hang on, hang on, hang on. hang on. Are we talking about the same democracy? Name anyone in the world that uh, did not lock down its citizens against their will, force them to stay inside, ended up encouraging and coercing them to report their neighbors for walking their dogs uh, mandated masks and vaccines are we talking about the same democracies here and he said well you know and then he couldn't really have an answer now that right there showed me that the last few years have completely utterly dismantled the idea of any democratic country and suddenly i don't see the soviet union as this poster boy of propaganda anymore you know i grew up thinking uh, it was only the commies in the east that were good at propaganda
2: oh i i I think um sorry you you weren't about to say something else were you there
1: no 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 i was just no 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 i mean this is uh,
2: one of the big mistakes one of the big mistakes in um actually just you know mainstream academics is that they 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 think propaganda happens over there soviet union authoritarian states and so on um but you know propaganda edward Bernays, 20th century this was all part of the intellectual milieu thinking about how you how can you how can you keep democracies on the rails (laughs) how do you stop the people taking over and getting too much power well we use propaganda the intelligent manipulation of the mind etc and you know the pr industry and of course pr was a rebranding of the term propaganda um edward bernays i i think to quote him approximately you know the germans gave propaganda a bad name in the first world war because they just went a bit overboard um and so they had to rebrand it and they rebranded it public relations and you know public relations industry so it's, comes out of the propaganda industry is huge you know if you think of the scale of it and and the amount of resources which go into it both for commercial companies but governments or big organisations and so on um, and actually, you know, whilst we, you know, you see these kind of NATO people sort of pointing at Russia and saying, ah, that evil Putin and his masterly propaganda, et cetera, you know, I, I think they're, they're not half as good at it as, as, as the West is and Western governments, you know, that resources, the energy, that the knowledge, which goes into essentially, you know, manipulating people is huge and the West is very good at it, um, arguably maybe all big empires need it um that level of devotion to propaganda to keep things on the rails um but we're very good at it it's very extensive um so um so so that was a, 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 what was the other thing that you said there because I, I was coming in on your point about the soviet what was
1: the well i was just making the point that that uh it the covid era showed me that democracy yeah. doesn't really exist it, yeah sorry on yeah sorry
2: um yeah i mean i haven't been through every single country in the world analyzed its COVID 19 response and then measured it against an index of its quality of democracy um so you know there there might be some exceptions to this but the broad point i think is well taken that um a lot of um purported democracies fell down badly on COVID 19 in a very significant way and revealed something which I would argue was just becoming, you know, it was becoming clearer and clearer to more of us over time that liberal democracies, um, it's not to say they're not a good idea um, or or they can never work, but liberal democracies were becoming hollowed out or the institutions were becoming hollowed out. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, in in my kind of own sort of niche area of, you know, communications and, and politics and so on, you know, big literature on, media state relations, which I used to, you know, write about a lot. Um, You know, the the Herman and Chomsky propaganda model of the media, big literature, really, and a lot of empirical research, making it very, very clear that mainstream journalists don't actually hold power to account, (laughs) that they're very much co-opted and so on and so forth for a variety of reasons. And uh, this was, you know, when I was doing my PhD in the 90s and then by by the the early new millennium, you know, sort of the evidence in support of that was very strong. And I'd have discussions with, you know, liberal colleagues who were saying, oh, things are OK, they're not as bad as you suggest. But they were normally having to concede most of the ground. Yet the mainstream media is pretty dysfunctional now. It's not acting as a check and so on. So there you go. There. You've got one institution, actually a key institution for a democracy, because, you know, the media is meant to be there as this check, as this fourth estate. And it clearly isn't isn't hasn't been working like that for a long yeah. time, um, if ever um so you know that that's broken and so then the next question becomes well, what else is broken um I come out of main of academia mainstream academia and mainstream academia is broken COVID-19 has demonstrated that uh, beyond any reasonable doubt um so another key institution is society um and so I I think and then of course with COVID-19 without getting into all the details but we we see the big pharma European Union underlined all of that co-optation the interplay between big farmer and government officials and so on all deeply um well let's not say corrupt but there's a bit of a conflict of interest going on there which you can see in multiplications all of that adds up to the conclusion that one should reasonably reach uh, especially after COVID-19 that our democracies are not functioning in the way that they're supposed to that they institutions have been hollowed out and that we have to take quite radical action now to try and restore them back to some approximation to how they're supposed to be functioning um and and I think that's that's the you were you're talking at the start about the shock and it's, it's a big mm-hmm. event for ever, many people and the learning curve but I think that's the big lesson for us in the west is that um what we thought we were living in is is ended up and that's not coming at this with this kind of sort of rose-tinted things are all great in the past. I don't really want to get into that I I, I think you can sort of in, in in my area of international politics you can take a line from you know eisenhower's warning about the military industrial complex through to kennedy getting pushed out of the way obviously um when he's trying to push through changes and you've got this kind of decline i think in institutions you can track across uh that that period of, of history um maybe they were never at a high point yeah but they're certainly now <laughs> um diving uh down to flatlining in terms of they're not functioning anymore uh, the democracies uh, are broken and we have to yeah yeah sorry
1: for i was sure. gonna say and and it's 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 weird how in the west particularly in the media you mentioned them there's no sense of irony so you you have rt for example that's completely banned in the west right and then you have i think it's cnn or bbc Puts out a story saying that uh, Putin's interview with Tucker Carlson is a win for Russian propaganda. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: it's it's almost as though it, it's impossible. I mean, I, I've been I've been talking about this with, with my 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 partner Steph. You know, it's, it's almost as if it's beyond rational discussion, factual yeah. discussion with. I mean, I describe it as the extreme centre. I mean, some people say it's, it's the liberal core, but, you know, I, I think you know, that, that can be unhelpful. You've got an extreme centre. You've got an establishment with some people from the right, some people from the left and so on, but they're all essentially in the establishment and so on. And and they're in a bubble, and they're so detached from reality, whether it's detached from the people on the street, and so you see this in the European Union with the farmers and the farmers' protests and so on, um, or detached just from the reality of what's going on. Um, And, you know, I could think of a provocative comparison here, and I'm thinking, shall I make it or shall I not? Go for it. Um, Well... (laughs) Yeah, I'm to have you. Have you ever seen Downfall? the, the uh, story no. of Adolf Hitler and you know, in in the last days, and he's in the bunker, and Goebbels is there, and you know, Goebbels, course in his wife they kill all of their family their children with cyanide poisoning and something. so so this is the fall of, of the Nazi of regime of of fascism you know all played out in in the bunker in, in berlin and so on but, but you get a sense and of course you know goebbels you know, you know they, they killed their entire family and their children because they couldn't see anything beyond that they they were so trapped in this bubble that they couldn't see anything beyond and so on and and in a way i it almost seems that sort of you know that comparison, of course, can be critiqued for a number of, uh, on a number of levels, which is fair enough. But but the point that I'm making is that you know people can get themselves so immersed and and they believe their own propaganda. They're in an ideological bubble that it becomes this impossible, and they're, they're impossible to reach and so yeah. on um and and I think that's it strikes me that the, the kind of the establishment core in the West who are still saying crazy things such as we can defeat Russia and Ukraine um and we have to take on Iran we have to bomb Iran you know, this is what the neocons have been saying bomb bomb Iran et cetera they're saying all of these things in a context where, where none of this is realizable as far as I can see unless somebody's going to start pulling the nuclear uh pushing the nuclear button and so on which was even that's not going to get you a win in this situation. Um, they're just caught in this inability to to wake up and smell the coffee. And 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 I suspect, you know, as much as one can draw comparisons with other eras where totalitarianism and totalitarian ideology has gripped people's minds. Um, you know, there is an element. It's not exactly the same. And I'll emphasise that, but there's an element of that with what we see at the moment. Of course, this is kind of Desmet, uh, Matthias Desmond's argument, isn't it? About sort of the, what we've seen—the mass psychosis kind of argument—and so on. Um, and and I think you know, we are we're in that world where I, I'm sure you know, and with your friends and relatives, the ones you know who um, don't understand what's going on, it's impossible to mm-hmm. penetrate yeah Um, not with all of them and more people have woken up but there is there's going to be a hard core there who are going to be um i think lost on
1: yeah what's quite interesting also i mean since we're chatting a little bit about the media is something else you mentioned in your article and it's how how the, the the media became the establishment mouthpiece it didn't speak truth to power as it were and that's what you what you were noting uh but not not just that it started smearing people who were who were presenting dissenting voices mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is one of the features of propaganda, and we've actually got organizational propaganda studies, we've got our first kind of symposium this coming Sunday, Um, and we've got David Miller, and we've got Oliver Boyd Barrett, Jared Bull, and and me talking about my experiences with Syria, but a a lot of that is about um, talking, talking about smearing of people and character assassination and that's one of the points that we pick up in 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 the article i wrote is that you know a, a big part of propaganda is shutting people up you know it's not just about messaging and so on it's also about silencing and smearing and character assassination um is is a is a key way in which i think the boundaries of dissent are policed and controlled um and as as you point out it's the media who are tasked with that in in a way who, who get caught up in that process and um i mean i'm not quite sure what what to say about it i mean you know my, my own experience was you know i was working on syria i was working on propaganda in syria and with a group of academics and we were being hit again and again by you know the times newspaper um and other sort of journalists huffington post as well smeared and of course as it transpired we were right over the target there was essentially you know fraudulent um allegations about chemical weapons attacks being carried out by the Syrian government this was most of these things were being um, as it were set up stage or actually conducted by opposition groups that's the big picture sort of overview of that we were onto it um, we were reporting on it and all writing about it and so on um, and the the, the the first response was right you know, get these, and we're all academics at Russell Group universities in the UK, it was like, get these academics on the front page of the newspapers, and they'll be so intimidated that they'll just shut up. And, and it was it was ugly. And I, and I have to admit, when I look back at the whole thing, the whole thing is incredibly ugly. You've got journalists writing tendentious, distorted, smeary pieces destroying your reputation, because that's what they're trying to do, and trying to get you fired in the process. And this, of course, is ultimately what happened to David Miller at Bristol. Mm. He was a full professor. Two years um, campaigned by the Israel lobby, and and finally they got him fired. Um, and as I say, he's just won his tribunal that he was wrongly dismissed, um, which is a huge victory for him. Um, but you know, this is this is a big part of how it works, and it's a very ugly part. It's not. I think what I frustrated me most is as a as a researcher or somebody, you know as an academic researcher, et cetera, um, was you want to engage people in a rational discussion. You're saying, look, we have these facts. We we have this analysis. Can we have a discussion about it? Because if we can have a discussion which is reasonably sort of level-headed, we can start to get to the truth of what's going on here. But if you're immediately being sort of uh, swept over by a tidal wave of smears, you're an Assadist, you're a Putin apologist, you're a war crimes denier, um conspiracy theorists whatever else it's just stopped at that point, and and you can't have a rational discussion, so that's out. Mm-hmm. And and then you're left them, Well, do I just defend myself? And you had to sort of denying all of these claims. Um, and then of course, when your universities are being copied in, I mean, universities don't fire people at the drop of a hat. And I was never, I was certainly never pushed out of, of Sheffield. But you can also see how, for an academic, say, I think we were all professors when we were being hit. But if you're trying to get promoted you're probably sitting there thinking, boy, this isn't going to look good with the Promotions Committee of these kind of headlines. So this is a really ugly thing. This just, It's just power saying we're going to shut you up and we're going to shut you up by getting you, you know, smearing you all over the newspapers, throwing as much mud as possible. Um, and, you know, hopefully you'll just shut up then and go away. And, yes, yeah, that, that's – we've seen it with COVID, right? You've, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hazarding a yeah. guessed that you, as an independent journalist, have have had been subjected to smears. Have you been hit yet? I, by
1: yes and no. I, I wouldn't call myself a journalist at all. So I, I appreciate the hat tip. But yes, I was certainly targeted, smeared pretty heavily. I tell you what, let's jump into. Uh, more about that after the break i just want to quickly take a moment i'll be back with you shortly my name is Jerm this is tnt give me a minute
0: with tnt radio's steve Mallsberg by now you probably heard all about the two police officers in new york city's times square that were beaten by a gang of illegal thugs four of them were arrested and released on bail and they're now headed to california and they're probably there by the border of mexico already but there's more to this Stuff we haven't heard yet until now. There is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, multiple charges grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. Uh, this particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Uh, one of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. That's CNN's John Miller. He's a former NYPD deputy commissioner, and he wasn't finished. I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh. Great Keep us back. on this. The silence of the CNN anchors says it all. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT.
1: Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other.
2: We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we
0: live bushfire ready.
1: You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. P.S. I'm reminded of Julian Assange.
2: Are you? I mean, and it's coming up, isn't it, I think, um, another possible point at which a final decision um, for him to be extradited to the US. Um, That, of course, all of my whinging there about being smeared, um, you know, perhaps sort of can be put in context by the next step that authorities can take, which is precisely that, which is prosecution. And, of course, I mean, this has been... You know, there's legislation which has gone through in the UK recently, and, you know, this idea that people who are sort of, you know, disseminating information or official secrets, etc, you know, jail sentences, and so on, you know, we've got this continual encroachment on our ability to to crit- critique governments and critique power and so on um, but Assange is, is clearly the authorities have um decided that he should be the example to set to all of us that this is what happens when you you know deal with leaked documents which challenge governments um in a pretty fundamental way and of course you know his work with wikileaks was a base essentially. Broadly speaking, dealing with Western war crimes in Afghanistan, Iraq, etc. Um, you know, pretty legitimate thing in a liberal democracy. You would want people to be doing is exposing governments who are conducting illegal wars and which are killing large numbers of civilians um, on the side of right, etc. But they're they're making an example of him, and um, you know, they I guess they want it to send shock waves through the entire research community of journalists and academics and independent journalists and independent academics to warn them um this is where it can end up um i'm hoping there's gonna be enough pressure to reverse that um, with Judy and with Julian sarge we'll have to see um you know but that's that's where we're at i i think you know in in a way may, maybe the smearing which we've seen bucket loads of during covid19 talk to jay batachai or any of the, the crowd of the covid resistance doctors and so on and they've been hit time and time again nick hudson of course as well i, I think isn't he from pandas uh, our Pandas has been hit with smear pieces and so on um you know you've had a lot of that going on but you know there's now seems to be this kind of, you know, trying to get into the full blown legal territory prosecution that in tandem with the whole censorship industrial complex, if you want to call it that, the online harm legislation, what you see with the Digital Services Act, basically criminalizing freedom of expression. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, what's where can they go after that? Just start killing people <laughs> uh,
1: bumping people out. Yeah, I mean- um, But that's exactly right i mean what you what you what you're touching on there is the implications of allowing propaganda to to take hold of society uh it's almost an imperative to to keep an eye out for it and to resist it
2: Mm. yeah this i mean this is where all of this leads um Mm. these you know when you're in a society which does not robustly defend people's autonomy and right to say what they want to say and believe what they want to believe unless that is you know from the from the very get-go, is robustly defended. This is where you end up. You, you just start with, well, we need to censor that information. That That's bad information. This is good. We need to, et cetera, et cetera. That then gets abused by powerful actors, and powerful actors realise, well, gosh, you know what? We can, we really can pull off things such as 9-11 and COVID-19 because we want to do things. And these are those are pretty extraordinary events. I'll maybe move away from a really controversial... I mean, JFK assassination doesn't seem to be controversial anymore. I mean, yeah. you know, how many people now, even within the elite, acknowledge that the CIA were involved in killing him? So you know, and that, but that again, that that's all propaganda, broadly defined. You know, assassinating somebody, to get somebody out of the way, and so on, and then sending a message, and then pushing through policies, etc. Now that, that person is out of the way. You know, this is all. This is all through the same process of trying to violate democracy, to try to. Um, employ any tools at your disposal from the kind of the the subtle nudging and pr deception spin through to coercion through to legislation which puts people in jail through to possibly worse and so on it's all the same sort of slippery slope and um and that's unfortunately where we're at you know it just goes back to the point about democracies being hollowed out they're hollowed out and the powerful actors are using all the tools pretty much at their disposal to control things um yeah but the, the what only does it place they can go to now is 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 violence but then they can't do that because you know they've already got enough people resisting um
1: but I mean they might, yes what but, does it mean though I mean what what does it mean in the sort of in the short to medium to even to the long term I mean is that light at the end of the tunnel a train coming towards us
2: <laughs> yeah um What this all means is is the point that we both made earlier about democracy is broken, the institutions are hollowed out. So we're at a point in time where it is all broken and it has to be rebuilt, restored. And probably the only way that's going to happen is if enough people engage, mobilize politically. I don't know what form that will take. I know that there are various efforts and so on. You know we're not going to be saved by one of the people who currently sit in a position of power um, but we do see new parties emerging in, in germany the ifd is much stronger but also zara wagenknecht and um as uh, savim dagdalen from former delinca of set up a party so so there are you know there are rumblings of, of new things emerging but that's what it's going to take is going to take that kind of mobilization i suspect now to um you know to restore or to try to get back some of the world that that we we thought we were living in if we ever were um so i I think that's what it this all means it's that's not a comfortable thing right because it's it all means it's hard work right to you know you and i can't Mm. sit there and go okay we can just relax and have a nice career and you know do the things which our parents did. <laughs> um, you know. I'm thinking of my own parents who sort of, like, took 25 years' retirement in the south of France, just enjoying life. I- I'm hazarding a guess that people of our generation, and of course you're, you're a lot younger than I am, um, but people from your and my we're going to be in this kind of political process um, for but- probably a l- most of our i'm hesitant to say most about a long time this is a big project and no none of us have a clear idea of mm. the way forward all we can all i can see at the moment is a lot of people are trying to do things and yeah. that's good i see what you're doing i see what nick's yeah. doing I, you know i, I see a, a lot of great work and a lot of great energy and and so on and that's always a good sign yeah um, yeah
1: but this is what this is where
2: we're at we've got a big big
1: struggle um i think something that but something that concerns me i mean there's a comment here from kitsy uh most of the usa history in the modern era has been based on lies which propaganda seems to thrive on now there's something interesting because i saw somebody make a comment uh, after which i've i've fed into a few days ago on social media about how people are now starting to say that you know there were no lockdowns there were no vaccine mandates it's all a figment of 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 our imagination and now we're suddenly seeing at least in some sectors this weird kind of rewriting of history that we all remember and what's going to happen 50 years from now um people are going to look back and say well there were no lockdowns there was this global pandemic and it was quite bad and the people who said there were vaccine mandates were just the lunatic fringe um yeah. and I'm just wondering how dangerous these aspects of the information war are I, I don't know I don't know what I'm asking I, I think it it just that comment just reminded me of that and how propaganda seems to thrive on this kind of of revising of reality if that makes sense yeah
2: no I I, I fully understand in, in the sense it, it's it's your darkest fear and it's my darkest fear and it's the darkest fear of, of everybody who, who you and i interact with and, and have worked with in, in various ways is that this is all going to come to nothing
1: yeah.
2: That you know 20 years down the line we're all going to be these fringe people forgotten wiped out etc um look and this is what yeah, okay this is what propaganda is is about it's about rewriting history and foundational myths all the rest of it 9 eleven JFK etc what I would say is that there are two key reasons for hope. One is that I, I think that there are structural changes underway which are very significant and which will force change. So in in the specific area of, say, Western imperialism and militarism, for example, which has been a very big problem in the world, you know, the, the, the days are coming, that is coming to an end and so on. So I think the lies around that and, and, and that's going to be forced, you know, the propaganda machine trying to maintain that the, the West is best and we're going to win in Ukraine and we can take on China and we can also sort out Iran, you know, that's just going to crumble and so on because of the change reality. So I think, you know, there is then, of course, we, we have the kind of the globalist component we've seen with COVID-19 and the agendas which they are pushing. So this is the, the concerns over the centralization of power through things such as central bank digital currencies, digital ID, and this kind of this kind of slightly amorphous political ideological grouping of people who clearly have a particular vision about the future, about digitized society, transhumanism, and so on, all of these transgenderism, et cetera. Which is is extremely concerning. They they're I think I I'm guessing at a driving force trying to as it were rewrite the COVID history so they can maintain power, Um, and it is a big concern. All I can say is that there's a lot of us now, right? Um, You know, when I was talking about nine eleven or talking about Syria, talking to a tiny audience in a way, or not so much nine eleven, but certainly Syria and so on, Um, and. You know, but this is an issue which has captured the imagination of a very large number of people around the world. So, um, I'm I'm going with the optimistic line on this: is that, you know, we're gonna we this we'll be able to see this through, and you know, we are going to get history written accurately. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't know how much longer the mainstream historians and academics can really hold back. On the JFK issue now, you know, it's just mm. becoming so obvious um, and and so on. So, you know, we, we'll get there um, and we should be optimistic, but um, and like there it. are concrete reasons. But for sure, it's, of course, we're all sitting there thinking, Yeah. <laughs> especially when you see this rewriting going on, it's like... <laughs> Blimey! We're, yeah, you know, we, we, this is the other problem, right? Because some of us, and you know, some of the people in the COVID community, I could see this early. On, you know, people think we're gonna it's gonna be a sunny day in the, in, in 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 the park at some point. We're gonna be we're mm. gonna win. We're all gonna be lauded as the people, and it doesn't work like that, and so on, um, and so on. So we just have to be sort of you know, we need to keep charter yeah. and have an even keel, keep going, and so on um keep pushing
1: sorry i've I've got to jump in but time's against us and it's a great comment here it's a great comment here to kind of uh round everything up but uh catherine says propaganda never sleeps so we must not get drowsy um on that note pierce uh how can i find your work
2: well organization for propaganda studies and propaganda and focus um online magazine a, a lot of uh, my energy and work goes into that. I also work with the in- International Center for 9-11 Justice, um, also with Panda. If you look me up on Twitter, you'll see my bio and links, and there's an extended thing with you know, academic papers and so on. Um, so I'm a bit spread out kind of thing, but um, those first place to go
1: would be there, I think. Peter Robertson, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Okay, good to talk to you it's good to talk to you too Pierce. um and uh please if you are listening go and read the article on which this conversation uh was based um i forget the name now ps what was what did you call it again i've got it here in front of me somewhere uh oh, that, defending, really silences. Defending, defending silences defending silences oh, sorry yeah. i beg your pardon deafening silences that is on uh on ps's website and it's the it's what our conversation was pretty much based on send me an email Jim warfare at tnt let me know uh, your thoughts if you agree disagree got any questions suggestions feedback whatever i don't mind but do send me an email on that note i'll catch you tomorrow my name is jim this is jim warfare the battle of ideas